Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. So, uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's had uh, four, sometimes at our house, four of our nine grandkids at our house, and um, it is pure joy when they're there. It's also a moment when... Jen and I look at each other and laugh and say, this is why we had kids when we were young, because uh, they're, like, busy. Uh, so we had such a fun time uh, through the week, and then by Monday, I had no voice whatsoever. You know, completely lost my voice, but uh, I wouldn't trade it uh, for anything in the world, um, the gift of having those little ones in our house. And, and we actually let our boys and their wives come, too, a little bit, you know, um, but I, and I always warn them that, you know, my job is to spoil them. You can fix them when you get them home. Don't worry about that, but uh, we had a, such a great time, and we're going to do a series in the book of Philippians called the Book of Joy. Uh, joy is one of the main themes, um, not the only theme, but one of the main themes in, in the book of Philippians, and, uh, and we're going to try to take a, um, we're going to try to take a look at what it means to be joyful, what it means to have joy. Uh, that seems to be, um, that seems to be a scarce commodity in our culture. And, uh, and, and the, the secret of what, where do we find real joy? Uh, you, know, you know, all know the difference kind of between happiness and joy. Um, you know, you can get a great gift, you can buy a new car, you can get a new house, you can get whatever, and that can make you happy for a while. Uh, but joy is, is a gift of the spirit, that joy is something that that happens from the inside out. Joy is something that God does in our lives, and, and we get joy from certain things. We get real joy. I mean, I have deep joy when my family's all together, um, but there's another kind of joy that, that Paul talks about and that we see reflected in, in Philippians that we wanna look at. Uh, I wanna talk a little bit about um, Philippians just to help us uh, get started in this passage, um, but, uh, uh, let me define joy for you first. Joy, uh, the definition we're gonna use, joy is the absence of being afraid and the presence of embracing the future. It's the absence of being afraid and the presence in us of embracing the future. Uh, Joy speaks to hope, joy speaks to confidence, joy speaks to a a lot of intangible things in our lives and we wanna talk uh, about those things. Uh, Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So righteousness, so, so joy for us. Uh, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, it's not a matter of what we do, of getting those things, of having fun, whatever that is for us, but there's a joy that's an internal joy and it is, a, it is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, that it comes from Christ. If we look at Acts 16, verse 11, pick up a little bit of the story with Paul and, the, and uh, the, the city of Philippi. So setting sail from Troas as we made a direct voyage uh, to Thamos, uh, Samothrace, uh, or if you're technical, Samothrake, 
and following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. That's a big deal. Uh, they weren't a city under Roman rule. They were a Roman city. Uh, they were a Greek city, but they were also a city that was a, considered a Roman colony, so they had freedoms that the Israelites, uh, the Jews, didn't have. Uh, so they were a Roman colony, and uh, we remained in this city for some days. Uh, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate uh, to the riverside where we were supposed, uh, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, and a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after, she was baptized in her household as well, and she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed on us. So Paul and his team uh, are traveling. They're on a missionary journey. They're going from city to city, and they get to Philippi, and they're thinking, they're looking, because Paul would always go to the temple or the synagogue uh, to preach first, and, and they thought, where, where do you go on the Sabbath? They went to the riverside where people often would gather to pray, and there they saw some women. One of those women was Lydia. Lydia was a businesswoman. Uh, she made purple dye out of shellfish for royalty. She was from uh, Thyatira, and she was probably Asian. She'd been drawn to God of the Bible, though she had been raised with lots of gods, but she was interested in God. She was a proselyte from, uh, to the Jewish faith, and when she heard the gospel of Jesus and the fulfillment of the prophecies, she responded and she was baptized that day, and then she begged Paul and his team if they would come to her house and stay, and that's where the church really got its first foothold in the city of Philippi, was through this woman, Lydia. And it became this place that Paul was so fond of that he loved. In fact, Philippians is considered one of the most heartwarming, uh, one, one of the most um, loving books in the New Testament because of Paul's relationship with the church there in this city, in, in Philippi. And we'll talk as we go along what are, what are some of the reasons uh, for that. But <clears throat> this is this what happened. Now, right after this, Paul's preaching and the religious leaders get worked up, and this happened occasionally to Paul. If you read through Acts, in fact, if you're doing the reading plan, you'll come to him pretty quick here in the next couple of days, uh, and, and you'll see where he has his dramatic conversion, and he starts his ministry, and all of the places that he gets beaten and stoned and driven out of town, and in Philippi, uh, Paul is, is uh, arrested, he's put in jail, uh, they're in stocks, there are guards there, they're doing everything they can to keep them from escaping, they're trying to stop the message uh, that he is preaching, and during the night, there's an interesting thing happen that Paul and his team are, are worshiping the Lord, they're singing, they're thanking God. Now, who does this? Who thanks God for suffering? Seriously, right? I mean, typically, our response to suffering in our lives is, why me? right? Uh, it's, okay, I'm one of the good guys, Lord. Look at what I'm doing for you. Look at all the awesome things that I'm doing for you. Look at how I'm serving you. Look at how I'm reaching people. I've given my life to this thing, and what thanks do I get? Hello. You know, I'm suffering. I'm in jail. I've been beaten. I'm in stocks. I can't move, but what Paul and what his team are doing are they're worshiping, they're singing, they're praising God in the middle of that. 
in the middle of that mess. And it says an earthquake comes and, and their shackles are loosened and the jail door is open. They realize that they could escape. But, but here's the problem if they do this is that the jailer then is the one that's gonna be executed. Typically in these, these jails, these Roman jails, they would take an ex-military man and they would make him in charge, they would put him in charge uh, of the jail. They had experience, they were, they were warriors, you know, all those things. And so that was the job you'd get when you, one of the jobs you could get when you got out of the military was to be a jailer. And if you let people escape, if you let someone escape from your jail, then your life was forfeit. So the jailer hears this noise. He understands something's happened. He runs, he sees that the jail doors are open. He knows that he is in deep trouble. He runs to the cell and, and Paul and Silas and the guys are still there. They haven't left. He, he realized that his life has been saved by these men that he's been beating, that these men that he's incarcerated, uh, they have stayed in the cell and his life is saved. Uh, and so he takes them home, he binds their wounds. Paul shares the gospel with them. He and his whole household get saved. Uh, they respond and they go back uh, to the jail. It's a whole great story. You can read it uh, yourself in, in the 16th chapter of Acts. But God uses all of these things to establish his church in the city of Philippi. And now later, Paul has been away from Philippi and he writes them this letter, the book of Philippians. And it's a tender letter uh, and he's writing back from them and Paul at this moment is in prison. We're not quite sure if he's actually in prison or he's under house arrest, but we know that, that he's being held uh, by the Romans, we know that there's a death sentence hanging over him, that he doesn't know from one day to the next what's gonna happen in his life. And, and so it's a fascinating context to, to see the Apostle Paul, who is now himself chained to one of the Praetorian guards, one of the, one, one of the king's elite guards, 24 hours a day, and he doesn't know if he's gonna live or die, and in the middle of this, he's writing letters to the churches that he's been to, that he's established, and he's writing to the church in Philippi. And I think it's really an important context for us as we look at this, because we look at Paul, who's not defined by his circumstances. He's not defined by his imprisonment. He, he's not saying that he's not feeling like a failure because he has been arrested and he's been thrown in jail. He's not whining at God because of this, that where he is, but he writes this letter out of that confinement. He writes this letter to the, to the Philippians at this very time in his life when he doesn't know if he's gonna live or die. Let's look at the first few verses here. Uh, Philippians 1, beginning at verse one, it says, Paul and Timothy, Timothy's often considered a co-author of this book with him, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints uh, in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So there's an established church in Philippi at this point. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance for you, of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's just stop for a quick second. The first five verses, Paul does his greeting and then he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer I make on your behalf, every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, that just praying for the church in Philippi, just praying for these friends, these people, brings Paul joy. And he's gonna explain to us why uh, it brings him joy. Uh, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. 
one of the reasons that the church heard that Paul was imprisoned, uh, they heard about his circumstances, and they sent one of their pastors, uh, a man named Epaphroditus, and they sent him uh, to Rome, and he brought gifts, financial gifts, and encouragement to Paul from the church in Philippi. That, he, um, that they sent him as an emissary from that church to care for Paul's needs. And Paul was overwhelmed by their love for him and overwhelmed by their concern. And so he's so grateful for that. But he's grateful for something else. If you look really closely, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is joyful. Paul is grateful because of their partnership in the gospel. This word partnership is a, is a really familiar word in the New Testament, it's koinonia, and it's often uh, translated, uh, it's often translated fellowship. Uh, but in, in this context, uh, and, and really the most literal uh, definition for, for uh, koinonia is partnering, and this idea of partnership. So he's saying that you guys are my partners. You're, you're not my flock, you're not just my friends, but you're my partner in the gospel. Everything for Paul, when you look at his life, when you read his letters, everything for Paul is driven by the gospel. And it's not just the gospel of great sayings, it's not just adopting a religion, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Paul is always pointing us to what God has done in his life and done in our life, that he has called us uh, in his love to be part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, though. It's not about Paul, it's not about them, but it's always in his life about Jesus. And it's easy to get those things confused sometimes, uh, but Paul is really clear that it's always uh, about Jesus in his life. There's a joy in, in Paul in spite of the fact that he's in prison, uh, in spite of the fact that there's a death sentence hanging over his head. Paul still has joy because of his partnership, because of their love, because of what God has done in the, in the city of Philippi. Joy is mentioned 140 times in the New Testament. And 50 of those times, it's mentioned in the writings of Paul. So if you, if you wanna just do the math, joy is a pretty important part of the gospel. It's a pretty important part uh, of, the, of the New Testament that we should have an expectation if we're followers of Jesus that we're gonna experience joy in our lives. So it, it, it kind of makes it interesting, isn't it? If you're not experiencing joy in your life, uh, then that's a tip-off that there's something uh, that you need to do. There's something that needs to change in your life, that there's something that's missing in your life because joy should be a byproduct. Joy should be a part of being a follower of Jesus, that, that joy is something that happens. In, in Galatians 5.22, it talks about joy as one of the fruits of the Spirit, that joy grows in us, that God plants his joy in our life as, as, as a as part of the fruit of his spirit that grows in us, that expresses itself as we follow Jesus, as we live our lives for him. And so we should have an expectation of joy uh, in our hearts, and I don't think we do. Sometimes we have an expectation of survival. Sometimes we have an expectation of getting through this. Uh, sometimes we don't, just don't expect joy at all. Uh, sometimes we look to try, to try to manufacture our own joy, what's gonna make me happy, what's gonna make me feel fulfilled. Uh, it, it becomes about us. Here's the secret that Paul is gonna teach us, is that if you really wanna experience joy, it's found in Jesus. If you really wanna understand joy, it's found in the gospel of who Christ is and what he's done. And Paul is gonna teach us uh, about that.
The experience of genuine joy is something supernatural. We're told, you know, again, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy transcends our circumstances. Paul can say, I'm joyful, I have joy, even though uh, he doesn't know from one day to the next if he's gonna live, even though he's imprisoned, even though all of these things are happening to him, that his personal ministry is, uh, feels like it's come to a halt, you know, that he, he could be complaining, but instead, Paul experiences joy because he knows that God is up to something bigger than we understand. So here's the first clue that we get to Paul's joy. And one of the things that I love, and that Paul will talk about this a lot, he says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. If you wanna know one of the keys to Paul's joy, it's thankfulness. Paul is a grateful person, Paul is a thankful person. If you, you know, go to 1 Timothy 1.15 sometime, and Paul is talking about the gospel again, he's talking about Jesus. And if you read through Paul's letters, you'll see that Paul talks about being, you know, he, he addresses the saints, uh, one of the saints. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle. Uh, you get all the way toward the later part of his life, and he's writing these letters to Timothy, and Paul addresses himself quite differently in his first letter to Timothy. He says that Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. I am the foremost. That Paul looked at his life and said, I'm... If you wanna rank sinners on a scale, then you'd have to put me at the top of the list because I persecuted Christians. I, I had Christians killed. I was doing everything in my power to destroy the church until I experienced Jesus. I was the worst of the worst and now I have life eternal because of Jesus' grace and because of his forgiveness. His life was so turned upside down that he could never get over that. It could never change in his life that he was so grateful for what Jesus had done. He was so thrilled with what the gospel meant in his own life that here he was, the worst person that he knew, and yet Christ loved him, Christ died for him, Christ gave his life and, and rescued Paul, and he was so overwhelmed by the love and the grace of Jesus that it changed everything about him. And so he could say, the gospel about Jesus is personal to me because I consider myself the worst sinner ever, and Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus forgave me. I've experienced his grace. That's awesome, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you this morning, but it's easy for me to sort of fool myself into thinking, you know, I'm really, I'm one of the good guys, and I've never, I've never persecuted anybody that I'm aware of. I've never had anybody killed, you know. I'm, I've never done any of those things that Paul did or some of those other guys did. I, I, I'm a way better person than Herod was and, you know, Pilate and all. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I've got to be a few rungs up the ladder. And here's the Apostle Paul who established all these churches, who did all these amazing things, who really pushed the church to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews all over the world. And he says, but the gospel is for me the gospel per, per, uh, is personal to me because Christ saved me and I was the worst sinner of all. And I think sometimes it's not until we really deal with who we are on the inside that we really deal with our own tendency to sin, our own tendency to rebellion, our own tendency to, you know, to be self-centered. It's not until we really come to grips with who we are without Jesus that we can really appreciate what Christ has done that we can really appreciate his grace and, and his love for us. And that, Paul never got over that. He never got over it, so he was a thankful person. 
He could be in prison and see what the church in Philippi was doing and say, I am so grateful for you guys. It's not about where I am. I am thrilled with what you're doing. I'm thrilled with about where you are. So Paul was grateful. He, he was a thankful person and he expressed his thanks. Here, here's the second thing that Paul found joy in and that was his, the fellowship, the koinonia, the partnership that he had with the church in Philippi. You know, I, I think about parents who tell me, you know, sometimes around Christmas or birthdays or something, you know, we, we you know, my, my son or my daughter, most of the time it's a daughter, says, uh, you know, instead of Christmas this year, Dad, um, let's, let's help somebody. Let's give our money to poor people. Let's do something really special. And parents are overwhelmed by the generosity and, uh, of their children. And, and there's that kind of moment that you, you, you sort of think, maybe they're getting it. Maybe, maybe this is actually gonna work. Maybe I'm not gonna kill them before they're 18, you know? Maybe, maybe they're really understanding what it's about to follow Jesus, to love people. And, and you get that, that joy in your heart from seeing somebody else who's growing and somebody you really love growing and, and getting it. And I think as Paul saw the, the church in Philippi meeting his needs, as they rallied around him, as they sent Epaphroditus to, to meet his needs and to care for him and to show love for him, I think he thought, oh my goodness, you know, no matter what's happening in the world, these guys get it. These guys are growing. These guys are serving. These guys love Jesus. Uh, they're gonna continue to partner in the gospel. They're gonna continue to tell the story. They're gonna continue to live for him. And there was a joy in their partnership. There was a joy in what he saw in their lives. And, you know, and if we're constantly thinking about ourselves, if we're constantly thinking about what makes us feel good and makes us feel happier, gives us some semblance of joy, we might miss those opportunities to see what God is doing in people in our lives and, and draw our joy from how God, people are responding to the love of Jesus. Paul was watching all of that. So he's, there's two things here so far that Paul is thankful and, uh, and Paul is grateful. He finds joy in their partnership. Now, <clears throat> a couple of other things about discovering joy. Um, we, we also know that it, it, it has something to do with how we think. 16 times in this book, Paul's gonna make a reference to the way we think. Uh, 10 times how uh, our mind works, it's about the mind. Five times he speaks about thinking and one time remembering. And, and so Paul is challenging us how we think, um, how we think about who we are, how we think about the gospel, how we think about Christ. Now, a couple of more verses. In verse six of chapter one, it says this, and I'm sure of this, um, and this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and it's probably one of the ones that people turn to the most often, I think. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let me just take a second and look at this. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began the good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. One of the things that Paul took great consolation and one of the things that Paul was so grateful for was that God always finishes what he starts. That he doesn't give up on us. Uh, that he brings to completion what he starts. And in this context, one of the things that Paul's talking about is the gospel. 
that no matter if I'm in prison, no matter what's going on in my life, that the gospel is gonna go forward because God is planting you, because God has blessed you, because God is doing something in your life and the gospel is gonna continue to go out. So it's not, sometimes we wanna make this, uh, you know, that God is gonna work good in my life and that means my life's gonna be good and it's all the stuff that I want, right? Because I can tell you what good looks like for me, you know? Um, good, you know, it, it looks comfortable, um, it looks safe, um, it looks successful, uh, it looks respected. Uh, good looks like all of those kinds of things for me. Those aren't any of what Paul is talking about. Those might be byproducts of, of what God does in my life, but what Paul is talking about in the good work is that my life continues to be a picture of Jesus in the world. That my life continues to be a picture of the gospel of Jesus in the world that God is gonna complete that work, he's gonna complete his work in my life so that my life continues to be a picture of Jesus. And so here's one of my great convictions in my own life. Because I've been at this a long time, uh, I never wanna stop growing. I never want that picture to dull. I never want that picture to get fuzzy. Um, I always wanna be leading into Jesus in my life so that I finish with my life as much of a picture of Jesus as possible. I don't wanna finish resting, I don't wanna finish sitting on the couch, I don't wanna finish you know, in some other way, I don't wanna finish comfortable, I wanna finish leaning into Jesus. I wanna finish with my life counting for him, uh, for the sake of the gospel, and God's gonna continue and keep his promise and he's gonna keep that good work going on in our lives. You know, one of the things I love about missions trips is, I don't know about you, but I have this experience every time I've done a mission trip, is that I look at people who live in poverty, I look at people who don't have a fraction of what we take for granted, um, I, you know, I look at people that live with so, so little, and then I see how joyful they are, uh, how warm they are, how generous they are, you know, and I have all of these emotions like guilt, um, uh, like just a warmth that, that, God, what is it about these people that they're so joyful, they're so happy, they're so content, they have so little, what is it about them that really matters? And, and then you come back to it, it's Jesus. They've experienced Jesus in their lives, they've experienced Christ in their lives, and he supersedes everything else, all the, all the things that you can buy, all of the stuff that we can own, all the things that we can hold on to, none of that matters to them because they have Jesus. And they are wealthy because Christ lives in them, they have eternal life, they have a picture of heaven that we don't understand. I've shared with you about my grandmother. Last week, in fact, I told you she read the Bible through every year for 50 years. 50 straight years she read the Bible. When she got into her early 80s, we just kept buying her larger print versions of the Bible, and she kept reading. We were gonna run out of large print Bibles sooner or later, and she kept, for 50 years, she read through the Bible every year. Well, for 50 years, she never had anything. My grandfather's an alcoholic. He spent all their money on alcohol, all this stuff. They were poor, but my, you asked my grandma about her life and she would eventually always get to heaven. And her theology was pretty simple, you know. It talks about, you know, streets of gold. I'm gonna have streets of gold. Why would I worry about dirt here when I'm gonna spend eternity on streets of gold? Why, why would I worry about not having a garage uh, when I'm gonna go through the pearly gates, I'm gonna live in a mansion, I'm gonna, you know, and, 
and, and all of those things, and her eyes were set on a prize that was so much bigger. She had so little, but she understood heaven. She understood what it meant to be in the presence of Jesus, and, and I think that we've spent so much energy trying to create heaven on earth, trying to have all those things now that we have forgotten what the real goal is. We've forgotten where the place is that God provides everything that we could ever dream, that there are no tears, there's no illness, all of those things that God has promised us, and we've We've lost sight of it because we uh, have bought into this idea that, that we're supposed to create it here. We're supposed to have heaven on earth. And if you go on a missions trip, you'll realize they don't, they don't have that luxury. They have to trust Jesus. And if you look at past generations, you, you realize, boy, they had an idea of heaven that's so much bigger and it's so much more real and more present than anything that I've experienced and anything that I've really understood Paul had that picture in his life. He understood that. You know, I don't, I don't know what you have in mind when you think about God completing his good work in your life. But Paul wants us to think well. And that includes that being thankful. That includes partnering with the gospel. Uh, it includes understanding Paul had a mission that he never turned back from. And the mission of preaching the gospel, the mission of people seeing Jesus through his life and through his words. We're gonna do the last few verses in the next couple, in a couple of weeks, but I want you to think about your life and, and when you think about your life, what comes to mind? I, I want you to think about this, that where it begins is that we recognize, um, John Newton said it maybe the best, he said, he said I, I'm, I'm the greatest of sinner, but I serve the greatest savior, that I'm a great sinner, but I serve a great savior. And that our life begins with recognizing that, that who we are in Christ, that Christ has rescued us, that Christ has saved us. Uh, there's a great little statement that says, pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Real joy comes from knowing who you are in Christ and that he is continually working in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you Thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. Um, thank you, Lord, that, that through his writing, through his life, that we see your redemption. We see your incredible love. We, we see the call uh, in our lives to partner with you uh, in the gospel, to be a picture of you in a world that desperately needs to see you clearly, but to see an authentic picture of you, a real picture in a real life of who you are. So Lord, I ask that these words would, would take root in our heart. I ask, Lord, that you would use this study in Philippians, but the particularly, Lord, this idea of where real joy comes from to enliven our hearts and our minds, to change us, to transform us, Lord. Make us joyful, grateful people, I pray. And we'll give you all the praise and all the honor in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.